Welcome to Canucks Talk. Josh Elliott Wolf filling in one more day for Jamie Dodd here on Canucks Talk. Thomas Jantz is here as always, though, still in Seattle, but uh, come to us live via the mobile Kintec studio. Kintec Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five star Google reviews, sore feet. What are you waiting for? And Canucks Talk, brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them, find them together online at DLEAMC.com. Drance, how are you? Doing well, bud. Doing well. Tough game in Seattle, but a beautiful day here in the Emerald City. Uh, for me, anyway, so I'm, I'm, I'm stoked. Canucks will practice at UBC in about 30 minutes, so we figured we'd push... The whiteboard to the end of the show. We'll do the whiteboard at 1.30 so that we can reflect whatever news, whatever lineup changes uh, we see at Canucks practice out at UBC today. And I'd expect there to be some significant reaction given Rick Tockett's pointed commentary about his team's no-shows, the disturbing nature of their effort, the comedy of errors that characterized what was one of the Canucks' worst performances of the season at Climate Pledge Arena last year or last night. Uh, yeah, so we'll do whiteboard at one thirty. Got Dmitry Filipovich at one and Brendan Bachelor at twelve thirty. But you mentioned it last night, Rick Tockett going off a little bit. I feel like that's the the most angry we've seen him in a while. And I don't e- actually, I don't even know if it was angry. It felt like felt like disappointment, <laughs> you know, which is worse. Which is definitely worse. But it it was the the hey like. He took credit for it, but he obviously wasn't taking credit for it when he said guys didn't show up, and he said, hey, that's on me. But also when guys don't show up, you're that's kind of on the guys, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, and the Canucks last night, look, I know it was the, the third game in four nights, but it was uh, probably the worst game of the road trip for sure. Oh, it's one of the worst games they've played all season. I mean – They've dropped games, especially like this losing streak, four games losing streak. I mean, they've dropped games, but you know they haven't they haven't been outclassed by a team like the uh, the Kraken, um, you know, in a long, long time. I mean, they had nothing. Like they looked so tired, they looked so beat, they lost every battle. The details weren't there. I mean, it was just one of those games where nothing was working for them. They they could generate absolutely no zone time, no offensive chances. It, it literally took, like, a bounce off multiple players in the end boards for them to score or even get a high-quality scoring chance. Uh, they had nothing left. Like, they looked and played like a team with no legs, and they have a pretty quick turnaround before they face a Boston Bruins team that schooled them a couple weeks ago on Saturday afternoon at Rogers Arena. Yeah, 4 o'clock start tomorrow, by the way, for that Boston game. And we'll, we'll see what the lines look like in practice. It, it does feel like I would expect there would be a pretty big shakeup. Oh, um, there's definitely going to be a big shakeup. We saw some things kind of start last night, and I, I do want to see some things continue tomorrow, but we'll we'll wait for the whiteboard to, to fully get into that. But one of the things that plagued the Canucks again last night was – what's been plaguing them for a while. It was the special teams. And it, it it feels like these these last four games, the ones they've lost, have all boiled down to the special teams play. Last night, hey, maybe it was a, you deserve to lose that one regardless. But power play won for their last 28. And honestly, last night, it, it was another night of like, man, I don't even know what they're trying to do on the power play right now. 
Well, they trotted out different units every time. Like the first power play opportunity they had, the power play one comes out, and it's Hironic uh, on the point with Hughes, Lindholm, Miller, Pedersen. Maybe it was that they wanted to take a draw and then won it. But uh, but the second time they came out, it was Besser in the Lindholm spot. Mm-hmm. The third time, it was Lindholm again. And then they abandoned Hironic entirely and had Pew Suter in the bumper. Um, you know, and back to a one defenseman look. Uh, like, it, it's not just that they played like they didn't have a plan or, or didn't have any answers. They, I mean, they were... It literally, they were literally throwing stuff at the wall, hoping that something would stick, right? And, um, you know, despite what the power play looks like at the moment, nothing did. No, it, nothing did. And I, I don't know. It's just extremely frustrating when I look at it. Because even the, the initial look, it was it didn't feel inspired at all. It was Heronic at the point. Hughes wasn't at the point. He was on the left wall. Miller on the on the right side, and then Pedersen was net front. And I, like, look, I like Pedersen. I think he has a lot of um, exceptional qualities in terms of being on the power play. I don't know if being a net front guy, like he was getting pushed around in front of the net, and I just don't know. Maybe when you're when you're moving things around, he can find himself there sometimes. But when that's the the look you go to off the hop, I don't love that. You know, the power play was bad last night. The I thought the penalty kill was deeply concerning, right? They give up the one uh, goal, uh, the one shorthand, the one goal while they're shorthanded. Um, but really it was two because the Kraken scored their second goal of the game, uh, you know, after Elias Lindholm had officially left the box, but before he could rejoin the play. Yeah. You know, to me... I don't. I don't care officially whether or not it's called a shorthanded goal again or power play goal against. It's. It's a. That's. That's a goal created by the Kraken power play. Their pressure, their power play unit. They came through. They made the difference. Um, they had pressure all night. Like they looked so much more polished on special teams. And yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, the Canucks were only outscored by one, at even strength. Right. Like that. That's one of those games where if your special teams hold at all, you're in it late or you're in it with a shot. Um, you, you Special teams could have made the difference, but right now they're not for the Canucks. And one thing that's interesting is we're all focused on the power play. We should be. It's been dreadful. But I still am a lot more confident in this team sorting out their five-on-four play and, and being robust in that area of the game than I am about the penalty kill. The penalty kill for me remains my larger lingering concern here um, in part because what we're seeing on the power play for all the frustrations that we quite reasonably have watching it at the moment for all that they do have some things to fix you know at least the shot rates and the and the shot attempt rates and the underlying profiles like pretty consistent with where it's been at all season it, it looks mostly like a percentage driven um sort of gully here from an analytical perspective. And when you sort of put that together, now I'm not saying that it's just bad shooting luck because clearly, I mean, you watch it, the quality of the chances, the way shots are getting through. I mean, it's not that right. Like I, I, I want to be clear here, but at least they have that baseline level of sort of solidity there uh, that I think it can be tweaked. And given the quality of their personnel, given what we believe about this power play and, and what we believe about this team's best players, I, like, I'm pretty confident the power play is going to be okay as the sample expands. The penalty kill, though, you know, I, I know it went on a nice run there, but it was really goaltending driven. And I, 
it just feels like teams are getting the looks they want on a regular basis, and it's coming down too frequently to whether or not Canucks goaltenders are making the saves. Uh, that, to me, is where I get a bit nervous, especially ahead of you know a really difficult stretch of games for this club over the course of the next 23. And that's uh, that's what I wanted to get into as well, is, hey, things are not looking great right now. It's really and one thing Rick talked about, Rick Tockett talked about last night was you know the adversity and and he's like hey he kind of had issues with like the the adversity comments I guess like adversity is great but you also have to deal with it and it feels like the Canucks haven't really dealt with it yet and we'll see like this is a test and it will see how they respond to that but in terms of their upcoming schedule it there is a possibility, and and hopefully they they find a rebound. But there is a possibility that things do get a bit worse before they get better. Because you look at it, and it's Boston tomorrow, and we know what the Bruins did to the Canucks last last time they played. Uh, Pittsburgh, who like they've been a weird team this year. Maybe they aren't as challenging as they've been in previous years, but they're still talented. They're still able to beat you. And uh, the first matchup with the Kings, and that's just in this upcoming week and then you go on a three-game road trip so it's the it's we've talked so much about tests for for the Canucks this year it feels like every game it's a new test like trying to prove yourself trying to you know iron out something in your game but now it feels like the first test of getting through adversity and we could talk about hey three-game losing streak was maybe the first time you felt it now is the first time where it's it feels like people are really hitting the panic button on and are legitimately worried about this team yeah and uh, look I mean personally it I think it's partly depends what your expectations are right I mean here's the here's the thing I think so sorry I I have a couple ways I want to sort this but the main thing I think we should note, right, is that around the edges, around the margins, some of the things that have powered this team's enormous success to this point in the campaign, like, have been nibbled away at by circumstance, exigency, like, just, like, the things around the team. So the club looked like they were leveling up defensively in late January, like, really moving themselves into being one of the best defensive teams in hockey. And then Carson Soucy went down, and I think you're seeing some softness now in terms of this team's rush defense. The Kraken didn't generate, like, a ton off the rush necessarily, but they had a ton of opportunities to. You know, like, they had what I call chances at chances, which is where they're, you know, they had they had numbers. They had odd man opportunities, and, and like, they just couldn't quite find the answer and find the really high danger scoring chance. And if they'd done it a couple more times, I think that game could have gotten really ugly. Uh, but you saw it against Winnipeg. I think you saw it against Colorado a bit too. You certainly saw it against Minnesota. You've just seen this team begin to bleed some chances against off the rush in a way that they haven't for most of the season. And, and I think partly that's losing their best rush defender to injury. You lose Dakota Joshua, but more than just losing Dakota Joshua, you also have Ilya Mikheyev's form um, really sag post all-star break and all of a sudden you've got Pew Suter playing higher up the lineup you've got Niels Hoaglander playing higher up the lineup and last night you end up in this game against the Kraken and the, the Suter Garland Bluger trio didn't manage a single shot on net when they were on the ice together mm -hmm. uh the 
Mikheyev, Lafferty, Amon group, uh, first of all, they only played like five minutes each, right? I, I mean, they really got benched as the game went along, which is not how this team has managed their minutes, even when trailing uh, for most of the season. And they didn't record a single shot on goal as a trio, right? Uh, Canucks didn't get a shot on goal with their bottom six on the ice last night. I mean, that to me is such a departure from what we saw when like Niels Hoaglander and Connor Garland and Dakota Joshua were like cooking teams at the bottom of the lineup. Like that's been bottom six scoring depth has been one of this team's superpowers to this point in the season. And all of a sudden it's a, it's, you know, a drag, a wasteland, like a liability and a weakness. And that's happened so suddenly 10 days, right? 10 days ago, we were talking about this team's bottom six as one of their separating, um, you know, attributes. One of the things that made them different, made them perhaps, a, a team to prefer over some of the other contenders in this league. And, and all of a sudden it's looking pretty soft. And so, you know, I think what's happened in part is that some of this club's marginal advantages, like the small stuff, the stuff that gives you a two or three or 4% edge has kind of been eaten away at corroded just a little bit. And all of a sudden in, in a sport where, you know, you're, you're playing weighted coin flips for the most part, right? Against a good team, you're never more than 58% chance likelihood of winning. That extra 2 or 3% makes it more probable that some of those bounces go against you. I, I think, like, what we're seeing over the course of this losing streak, to me, feels like that. It just feels like the Canucks have lost just a couple clicks off their fastball, not enough that we should be concerned about their overall quality of, as a team, but enough that it's cost them in some of these you know, 50-50 or weighted 50-50 situations. And it's it's just happened to cost them in quick succession in four consecutive games. And and that makes it feel frustrating. But, like, Garland, uh, sorry, Dakota Joshua's going to be back. Carson Soucy's going to be back. Both guys skated yesterday. Uh, to me, that stuff, some of the stuff that we've seen that have become suddenly, like, weaknesses or, or just little exploitable things, little exploitable struggles that this team has at the moment. I don't feel like those are big picture concerns for me, if that makes sense. They're, yeah. they're reasons the team is losing right now, but I don't think they're weaknesses that will define the outcome of this season. I guess, so when you, when you talk about that and the, the minute percentages that the Canucks are kind of working with, and you mentioned Dakota Joshua, obviously Carson Soucy has been out as well. What does that say kind of about how, like, I don't want to say fragile, but fragile. No, how, fr fragility is the right yeah. way to look at it. How this team is, is built. And that's not to say it's like a bad team. It's just that, hey, when one piece that you might not think is incredibly important goes out, but Dakota Joshua goes out, all of a sudden you're seeing <laughs> these things shift yeah. in, a, in a dramatic way. Well, when Joshua first went out, I thought, man, he might not get to 20 goals if he misses three weeks here. Uh, that's going to cost him some money. Um, I feel like the price of the bricks just going up on him now, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like, uh, but self-consciously, uh, Josh, right? Like this team knew, you know, it's not like, it's not like in past years where we'd say, you know, the fact that this team struggles when two supporting pieces go out of the lineup is a construction error, right? Mm-hmm this is a self-conscious thing. Like this team knew, right? Rutherford's first commentary. We're a playoff team. If everything goes right like that, he knew, you know, like everything has gone right for the Canucks all season. 
things have kind of stopped going right around the edges. And now the question is, and this was Rutherford's question in that very same press conference, um, where we want to get to. Like, the place we want to get to is a place where things can go wrong for us and we can overcome it. That was his commentary before the season. Well, and, and now that's the big question lingering, right? Like, for at least another couple weeks here, the Canucks might not have a stacked deck in their favor. They might have to find a way to pull out some 48%. You know, like, they might have to find a way to grind out enough points to keep the Oilers in their back pocket in the Pacific Division, because that's the stakes that really matter over the balance of this season. They're going to need to find a way to grind out and scrap out enough points uh, with things that, you know, aren't going perfectly for them over the next three to four weeks. Like, that that's it. That's that's the ball game here if you're going to win the Pacific Division and if you're going to go into the playoffs with the most favorable possible draw. Um, you know, they're going to have to answer that question that was effectively posed by the head of hockey operations as mm-hmm. the puck dropped on this season, um, you know, I, I think management had a good sense of this, right? Like, they needed everyone pulling the rope. They need all these pieces, um, you know, if they're going to achieve anything like what they've achieved to this point. They're still extraordinarily well positioned. I, I don't think the game last night is representative of this team's form across this losing streak even. I don't think it's going to be representative of of what comes next, but I also don't know that you look at you know games upcoming against Boston, Pittsburgh, and uh, L.A. as natural get right spots. You know, like this yeah. team's going to have to figure it out, and and it's certainly not going to be easy. Uh, and this is where this is where sort of that question is: this team at the point where they can figure stuff out, where they can overcome, right? Are they at that point? That's the question that will define the next couple weeks here. And that's the question that, you know, was effectively posed months ago, right? It's, it's not even a new storyline. It's, it's self-consciously where Canucks management was hoping to get this team to over the course of the year. Have they, right? Are they there? We can't answer that question, right? That's on Canucks players. Talk it clearly challenged them to, to provide that answer with his commentary last night. Definitely. It is Canucks Talk, Josh Elliott Wolf, Thomas Drantz here on Sportsnet 650. So the other thing that's been rearing its ugly head in the in the hours since the game. Has, uh, I hate a reared ugly head. <laughs> yeah, it's the worst kind of ugly head, <laughs> I think. Um, and we're getting a bunch of texts on it, 650-650, Dunbar Lumber text line. Feels like every time the Canucks lose, it is the Elias Pettersson conversation. And a lot of the comments seem to be, hey, he's not playing with enough heart, not playing with enough emotion. Why isn't he the one that's dragging the Canucks into the fight? And honestly, it's just like I, I'm personally pretty uh, pretty over the conversation. It's just a matter of like I, I don't know how he's going to sell himself to people that really don't believe in him anymore. And one thing I, I appreciate and I think is correct that you mentioned on your hit with uh, Donnie and Dolly is, hey, maybe it comes down to he hasn't signed this contract and, and people are kind of internalizing that and, and turning on him because he hasn't gotten the deal done yet. Yeah, the – the so, <laughs> yeah, the I mean – do you know who leads the Canucks in five-on-five five points since the All-Star break, the last 10 games? Elias Pettersson. It's or, Elias Pettersson. Yeah. That blew my mind. He's got eight points, five-on-five five in the last 10 games. I would never have guessed that with 
how productive Miller's been. I was I was going to say JT Miller. I was like, is this a weird trick question? But yeah, no, it's uh, it's Pedersen. It's Pedersen. And um, yeah, by only one point, but Miller has six goals, five on five, but only one assist. Like, um, you know, and, and not, not that he is not playing some of his best hockey of the year. I really think he is. But the, you know, I... I just think the narrative around Pedersen has lost all sense of proportion. Like, we're talking about how he doesn't elevate line mates. Uh, we're talking about how he doesn't bring it in good games, like, or big games against good teams. And it's like, he's got 22 points in 17 games against the top 10 teams in this league. Yeah, but what like it, it's like, people are like, well, actually, we can't count the games where it was against teams that he actually got points against, which is another <laughs> part of the narrative where I'm like, what are we doing here? No, it's completely arbitrary, right? It's yeah. completely arbitrary. I mean, the Canucks have even outscored their opponents with Pedersen on the ice five on five. You know, like, things are not going badly for Pedersen all told, I, I don't think. Um, you know, they, they like, with Pedersen on the ice five on five since the All-Star break, 10-game stretch, Canucks have been below 500 in that 10-game segment. Um, they're getting 852 save percentage goaltending. 8.52, and they've outscored their opponents. You know, that's not that's not the mark of a, of a player struggling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like, that's, that's to me not something that I'm going to worry about at all, frankly. Um, the power play's been frustrating, and I think Pedersen's been a big part of those struggles. I, I'm not going to sugarcoat that. Yeah. And it doesn't need to be sugarcoated. It's just true. But it just feels like the Canucks are like um, – are like bracing to be broken, not the Canucks, Canucks fans, feel like they're bracing to be broken up with or something. Um, But, like, all of that stuff can wait. You know, like, Pedersen's shown his hand here. He wants to wait. This season is about winning. This season is about what's coming down the pike. Next season um, will, will take care of itself come the summertime. And this is a team that's positioned itself you know they still got the best point percentage in the western conference they still lead the pacific division by by a healthy margin although uh, a diminishing one given edmonton's games in hand um you know this is a team with a shot here like a, a, a meaningful shot I, I don't see i don't see why we'd focus on the future in this sort of kind of like whiny coping way when We've got months of some of the most exciting hockey that this market has seen uh, on the immediate horizon. Like, to me, that should be the focus. But that's just how I'm wired. You know, there's no wrong way to be a fan, and I understand why some of that criticism is is coming Patterson's way. It just – none of it feels like it holds water. You know, none of it feels like it's actually attached to the reality of Patterson's performance or this team's situation. It feels like it's got ulterior motives, and it's hard for me to engage with that – you know, given my um, <laughs> my steadfast, obtuse uh, requirement that things be factual. <laughs> How dare you? How dare yeah, you? Yeah, I'm uh, the worst. It is Canucks talk. Josh Elliott Wolf, Thomas Trance. There's uh, more Pedersen kind of scuttlebutt, I guess, we'll get into in the whiteboard later on in the show. But coming up next, it's Brendan Batchelor. This is Canucks talk on Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to 
Canucks Talk. Josh Elliott Wolf, Thomas Drance here on Sportsnet 650, coming to you live from the Kintech studio. By the way, JamPro, the leaders in commercial cleaning and janitorial. If your workplace demands a clean environment, contact JamPro for a free, no obligation quote. Visit jampro.ca. It's time to go to the Dispatch Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning Hotline, where we welcome in Brendan Batchelor, voice of the Canucks here on Sportsnet 650. Thanks for taking the time, Batch. How are you? I'm well. How are you guys? Doing great. Congratulations, by the way, to you and Ellen on uh, the birth of Rory this week or past week. Yep. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Uh, I got like four hours of sleep last night, so I'm good to go. Let's roll. <laughs> Papa Batch! Congrats, bud. Thank you. Uh, what's been more stressful, uh, being a father of two now or the Canucks losing four in a row? Definitely being a father of two, without a <laughs> doubt. Um, mostly because I don't think people should be stressing that much about the Canucks losing four games in a row. Um, are there some concerning signs in the way they've played? Yes. Has it been their best stretch of the season? Certainly not, but um, it's not time to panic yet. There's plenty of time left in the season. They were always going to have some growing pains <laughs> at some point, and in fact, it's good that they're facing some adversity because we get to see how they respond to it. It is the – so Rick Tot, like the players were talking about adversity last night. Rick Tot had also mentioned adversity in his postgame. Uh, he was a little fired up in the in the postgame last night. Do you think the players take note of that? Yeah, I, I would imagine so because I'm, I'm sure that is a message that he will be delivering behind closed doors too because the one thing we've learned about Rick Tot in his – just over a year as a, the head coach of the Canucks, uh, he's a straight shooter. Like he, he calls it as he sees it. And he was pretty blunt and honest about what he saw in that game last night. Now, to a certain extent, can you give this team a little bit of a mulligan? Cause they've had a crazy busy schedule and lots of travel. Uh, I'm sure you can, but at the same time, talk, has talked about needing to learn how to play tired, needing to overcome fatigue. And if you want to go on a long playoff run, then you're going to be in stretches in the postseason where you are tired, where you've played a lot, um, you know, where you're banged up and have players out of the lineup and nobody gives you any rope or says, oh, you know, they're just tired. It's, it's okay when you're in a seven-game series. So uh, it's good that they go through this kind of adversity now and, and work through it and, and hopefully learn from it and have one of those important learning lessons that talk it always talks about because if if this happens in the postseason there won't be anywhere near as much uh, leeway for them in terms of the way that they play so josh hasn't hosted with me as much as jamie so uh, i'm i'm i just want to give him a disclaimer here uh i'm i'm about to hijack this segment entirely okay sorry have fun. Josh. Have fun. I'll, I'll leave the room now batch before i do so i want to give you the option because uh, you know, um, like family rights, uh, <laughs> other situations going on. If you're if you're too exhausted for one of my games, that's fine, and I'll just ask a normal question. But are, but are you down? Do you got the energy I'm level to? All right, sure. cool. So Josh, you're going to participate too. This oh, is a game show. I didn't now. leave the room. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah, good. No, this is a game show. Okay, we're going to play over unders. I'm going to give you Canucks over unders for the rest of the season, and you're going to pick the over or the under, and then explain why, and then we'll argue about it. Okay. All right. Okay, we've got, what, 23 games remaining now? 23 games remaining, but I'll, I'll caption okay. it with all the info you need to make an informed decision in real time, okay? Okay, perfect. Okay. 
So I want to start with this one. Thatcher Demko has played 43 games this season. He's third in the NHL in games started. He's third in the NHL in saves made, right? The Canucks have 23 games remaining. And I want to throw this additional detail on. In his last five starts, Casey DeSmith has an 844 save percentage and a 1-1-3 a one, one record, okay? Mm-hmm. I'm going to set the over-under at 18 and a half, okay? 18 and a half additional starts. So that would get – no, no, let's go 17 and a half. So yeah. does Thatcher yeah, that Demko over-under uh, starts over the balance of the season 17 and a half for Thatcher Demko? I'm going to say under, and the only mm. reason I'm going to say that is only because Only one back-to-back back left, Batch. How, only one what back to back left? Uh, only one back to back. I'm going to say under because Talkit has publicly talked about how they need to get DeSmith in there more, how they're trying to map out a plan. Mm-hmm. So that's the first thing that comes to mind is that they are aware that they have played Demko a lot and played the wheels off him. Uh, the other thing I think is that, and we'll see how the rest of the season goes. But there is a chance that they get locked into their spot early enough that they have games that don't really matter late in the season, or at least don't matter in terms of where they're going to finish in the division. And so that's where we could see Casey DeSmith make more than a few starts late in the year, say in the final five or ten games, if either they're for sure first in the division or, you know, I guess if they go really well here, over the final 23 games, they could lock off the conference um, a little bit earlier. So because that possibility is there, I lean under just because I think that that could be an opportunity for them to keep Demko starts down late in the year. I was going to say, Josh, what are you taking? I was going to say under as well. I feel like you set wow. the line too high. I like the, the number that popped in my head was 16, like right around 60, 61 starts by the end of the season. Cause he's at 45. Now it was right. 43, 43. Oh, okay, so that'd be 50, 59. 61. Yeah, I'm, so I'm, I'm asking you to bet, does he hit 61? I don't think he hit 61. I think he hits yeah, I don't think they want him to crest 60. Yeah. I, I would I, bet I 59 if I had to put an exact number on, so I'm saying 16 through the rest of the year. I think it's out the window that they're going to sew up the the conference or the division in, in that amount of time. They've left the door too wide open now. And if DeSmith, like DeSmith for me is one bad start away from this team feeling the like really starting to feel pressure from Edmonton and, and feeling the need to ride Demko down the stretch. That's, that's my view. I I'm, I'm going over all day long. All right. Well, and here's one thing I'll say about the over as well is the month of March. There aren't many opportunities to get DeSmith in because they've got the nine game no. homestand and throughout that homestand, there are multiple stretches with multiple days between games. It's actually a very quiet and friendly part of the schedule for the Canucks, uh, which means that even if Demko does get above that 60-61 start number, um, you know, they'll have had the opportunity to get him lots of rest to give him practice days off if they feel the need to do that. So um, it'll be interesting. I'm sticking with the under, but I can certainly see how the over could come into play based on the way their schedule maps out. All right, the Canucks, 80 points. 80 points with 23 games remaining, okay? I'm yeah. going to ask it. I'm going to set it at 
109.5. Okay? So so 30 points across their remaining 23 games. And just to do the math for you, gentlemen, um, the point percentage on that would be 652. They're at 678. At this point, that's a that's a hundred and seven point pace uh, on the way out. Uh, do they get over a hundred and nine point five? What are you picking, Josh? Do you want to go first on this one? I'm gonna say under, mainly just based on like I'm looking mm. at the the strength of competition down the stretch. It's one of the the toughest remaining schedules in the NHL. I know it's the, there's not a lot of back to backs, only one left, a lot of time in between games, but I just can't see them making up or, yeah, getting 30 points against some of these teams down the stretch. Not to say that they, they'll completely fall off, just that I think they will be the under the 109 by the end of the year. I'm going to take the over, but a very slim over. Uh, and the reason ties into what I was just talking about. The number of home games they have left, the lack of serious travel that remains in their schedule, they're done out east. Um, you know, they're mostly in the Pacific time zone the rest of the way. Uh, you know, as I said, in March, they're home for nine straight. They, all their really taxing road trips are pretty much in the rear view mirror now. So, you know, assuming that they can get healthy here, get Joshua back soon, get Susie back into the lineup. If we do see them ride Demko, um, you know, I think the opportunity is there for them to hit that over. And based on the way they've played to this point in the season, and certainly, their home ice points percentage uh, and the number of home games they have left, that leads me to believe that they can hit that over, but it's going to be close. I I think I think they probably, yeah, it's going to be close. I think they're probably going to go under. I, I think if, if I set it like one point lower, I'd, I'd probably pick the over. <laughs> you know, like I'd yeah. pick them over yeah. 108.5, under 109.5. Um, all right. Canucks power play has struggled oh, mm-hmm. since the All-Star break. And they've sagged to the 13th best power play percentage in the NHL as it sits today. 22.5%. Still pretty good. Still pretty good, by the way. Nine and a half. I'm going to set the over nine and a half relative rank compared to the rest of the league. Do they get back into the top 10 or do they fall outside of it? So we're talking about where they finish at the end of the season in terms end of, the of season power total play power percentage. play for the year? Yep. Okay. Uh, I'm going to say, do you have in front of you how many percentage yep. points they are out of the top 10 right now? Yes. Point six. The Colorado Avalanche, 23.1, are in ninth place currently. Yeah, that's a tough one. And- uh, because... As the season gets later and later, it is harder and harder to regain those percentage points just because most of your body of work has been done and moving is that much more difficult. And we've seen, like, for example, I don't have it in front of me what they were before this one for 28 stretch on the power play, but they were somewhere in the neighborhood of, what, eighth or ninth maybe? Mm -hmm. And they've fallen to what 11th 12th 13th in that neighborhood right now 13th, you said 13th yeah. right yeah so I, I i can pull that up for you by the way but but at the time of the all-star break they were at 25 percent eighth in the league yes so 
a, a run of one for 28 has only caused them to drop five places or, or, you know, one for 28 spots, is more yeah. recent than the all-star break, but you get my point. Like yes. they've had this well, dreadful they've been bad run. since the all-star break, right? Like three, three goals since in 10 games, since the all-star break on the power play. Mm-hmm. Yes. But that said, that's been a dreadful run. Mm-hmm. They would need a really good run in my mind to gain four places back and get back into the top 10. And I'm not saying that I'm not confident that they'll figure things out and get back to being a good power play. I just don't know if they can go on some amazing run like we saw from them at the start of the season that will allow them to gain that many places and that many percentage points back. So I'm going to say that they will fall just outside the top 10 at the end of the season. So I'm looking at the teams they'll have to pass to get into the top nine. It's uh, Minnesota, the Islanders, and then you got the Stars, Avalanche, Red Wings. And I don't know. I, I do think they're going to get hot to end the year. I feel like we're going to be like, remember when the power play was horrible for a stretch there and now they're amazing? Yeah. Um, I feel like that's going to happen and they're just going to barely squeak into ninth is what I would put it at. So I would say better than nine and a half. And let me say, I do agree that I think they're going to get hot on the power play later in the year after they go through this spell that they're dealing with right now and figure it out. I just don't know if they'll do it with enough time left to get hot enough to actually get back there. But I do think on balance, their power play is certainly top 10 quality. It just may not end up there in terms of actual numbers by the end of the year. Yeah, I'm, I'm weirdly less worried about the power play than I am about uh, some of the other recent things that we've seen crop into the Canucks game. So uh, I'll pick the over. I think that they'll finish in the top 10. I think they'll get it sorted. Uh, penalty kill. Penalty kill has also been bad since the All-Star break, although we have to note that that wild game, um, yeah. truly, like it was a wild game against the wild, skews these numbers a little bit. Nonetheless, the Canucks have sagged to 21st in the NHL in penalty kill rate, 78 and a half over under. I'm going to pick it. I'm going to put the line at 18 and a half. Do they get into the top 18? Do they get to within true shouting distance of league average or will they finish the year as a decidedly below average penalty kill over under NHL rank penalty killing percentage at the end of the year, 18 and a half. I'm saying top 18 for sure. Like without a doubt in my mind, mainly because you're getting Assuming you get Dakota Joshua and Carson Soucy back at some point, um, I'm mm-hmm. looking at the percentage points they would have to make up. It's like one percent they would have to make up, right? To, yeah, to get in, not the, significant. Yeah, so I I think they're it, it's the same as the power play in my mind, where we're looking at it right now, and it's so tremendously bad to an extent. And, and hey, yep. maybe they're maybe they're getting a bit lucky, like yesterday where. Uh, Vince Dunn scores, but it was right after after the power play ended. I still think they make up a percentage point or so, and they end up in the top 18. Yeah, to me, the big question around this one is how soon do they get Dakota Joshua and Carson Soucy back? Because that will make a world of difference. And the answer to this question, in my mind, fluctuates based on do you get Joshua back in the next three games, the next five games, the next 10 games? Or is he out longer than that? Like that could be a, a big factor in that regard. But generally speaking, I agree. I think, you know, you, you have a bad game like the one against Minnesota and it kind of skews things in the wrong direction, but on balance, their penalty kill has been pretty good here for the last few months. And 
So I would expect them to, to get back to being a top 18 team at the least, if not even a top, top half team in the league. Way under for me. I, I think the Canucks pe- penalty kill is in trouble. Um, okay. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I think the penalty kill. I, I think even their, I think even their like decent run for a bit was a mirage. Like I think it was mostly them having a 900 plus saving save percentage clip. Uh, I think that's just too hard to sustain. I, I think this club's improved enormously on the PK. I think they should be shouting distance of league average, but I don't think they're going to get um, into that top 18 mix there. All right, Canucks have three goal scorers currently on pace for 40 goals or more. Okay, Besser, Pedersen, Miller. I'm going to pick over one and a half 40 goal scorers this year for the team. Ooh, over. <laughs> over. You who think are, two guys get there? Who are you? Yeah. You're two, though. Uh, Miller and Pedersen. And mm. I, I just think Besser's gone really quiet offensively lately. Uh, he was moved off power play one a little bit last night. So, you know, the possibility of that sticking um, is, is something that would concern me or, or you know, if if basically two guys will get there. I think it'll be Pedersen and Miller. There's a chance that Besser gets there too, but some of the trends with him for me are a little more concerning than the other two guys who pretty consistently still put up points on a regular basis, even when they're not playing at their best. And I don't think you can quite say the same about Besser and certainly about his goal scoring. So um, yeah, that's where I'm going to go with it. I think Pedersen and Miller will get there. I'm not confident that Besser will. I'm going to say under, I think only one of them do. And I'm going to say it's JT Miller just because he's going to ride this hot streak a little bit more. Um, but man, 11 goals for, for JT Miller and Elias Patterson to make up if they want to get to 40 in the remaining 23 games. Like, that's not easy. A goal every other game. Um, so I'm saying under. I, I do think Patterson and Besser are going to be right near 40, though. Over 35 for sure. This is the difference between you and me, Josh. Like, I see a guy on a hot streak, and I want to bet against them. I get because you. They're, <laughs> because they're shooting percentage. Like, well, no, but, I mean, Miller's – Miller's got six five-on-five goals since the All-Star break. Ten games, okay? Shooting 40%. His personal, shooting clip, is, his personal shooting clip is 40%. Like, the, he, he might as well be shooting wide-open NBA threes if he were Steph Curry. Like, that's it's wild stuff. Like, I just struggle to imagine. And I'd add this. I'd add this. I expect Miller to get more assists. Like, he only has one five-on-five assist in the last ten games. Um... To me, it's more likely that the goal scoring halts a bit, but the production will be offset by the assists going up. In terms of the 40 goal scoring thing, I think it's it's going to come down to usage. Like, I'd say that they'll have two. Yeah. I don't feel confident picking who of Miller or Besser it's going to be because it's going to depend on what the power play looks like, and we all know that that's in flux. Like, if Miller stays in the bumper on the power play where he's become Vancouver's highest volume shooter, uh, five on four, uh, since the All-Star break, that then he's going to get to 40 goals. If he moves back to the half wall and his you know power play shot rate goes back to its usual 10 per hour, then uh, you know I think he's going to get more assists than goals, and that's not necessarily going to be a drag on the team. Like that might benefit the team, but it but it will you know make it more difficult for him to score 11 in over the remaining 23. So um, you know I think I I think two guys will get there. I just don't know 
which of Besser or Miller will be the second guy. Because uh, to me, Wait, it's going to so come down to how they deploy Pedersen the power play. The you're saying 100%. I think I think Pedersen's going to get to 40. Yeah, okay. I think Pedersen's going to get to 40. Um, I, I feel confident in that. And then I say one of Besser or Miller do. I just don't know. And I I don't know how they're going to line up. So I don't uh, five on four. So I, I don't feel confident picking between the two. All right. I guess we're we're very close to being done this segment. Yeah. But I I suppose I want to do one more overall. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'll be honest with you, gentlemen. The goaltending for me is is now the biggest worry. Like, I know it's not something that actually like was decisive last night, but I'm more worried about Vancouver Canucks goaltending than I am about anything else coming out of this sort of recent losing streak. Just because DeSmith struggles, the fact that the Canucks have left the door open for the Oilers, they're going to have a lot to play for down the stretch here now. And, um, you know, the, the Demko's only played more than 60 games once in his career, and, and he got hurt and, and then didn't really recover on time over the course of that summer wasn't good the next year, got hurt again. You know, like, to me, I just think about all of that, and that's what makes me nervous, given how dependent this team is on him. DeSmith, okay? Let's go 899.5 save percentage <laughs> in his remaining starts over the balance of the year. I'm going to say, ah, uh, oh, man. It's not like 903 is league average this year. Yeah. So, like, 900 is not... I know we're so used to living in a world uh, a decade ago where goalies were all like 913, 920, mm -hmm. you know? But that's not that's not reality in the NHL anymore. Like 903, 900 for your backup is good. That's like very good. You're very happy with 900 goaltending from your backup. Do the Canucks get that in however many starts DeSmith has remaining? I'm going to say under. Uh, not not by much, but I, I just think the the – Rush defense is is a bit of a concern right now. Big enough concern that I I do feel like both Demko and DeSmith are going to see a bit of a dip in their save percentage, and DeSmith probably going to feel it more just based on that smaller sample size for the rest of the season. Uh, I'm gonna. So we're talking about his save percentage from now until the end of the season, or his overall now until the end of the season, not overall. So okay, I'm gonna say over, but only slightly, and the reason is. Um, that I think they will probably be very selective with where they put him in, and he will be given opportunities to succeed. And then, you know, if, if in the final five games, like I alluded to, they get the breathing room they need where they are locked in, then maybe the same percentage dips because he goes in in games that don't matter to them and, and things like that. Um, so that I'm open to that being a possibility, but I'm going to say I've got faith in Casey DeSmith. I think for most of this season, he's done the job and done it well. And I think he'll, he'll come in just over of that number. And the other thing I want to say sort of in response to what you were talking about, Josh, with the rush defense is Susie should help solidify that to a certain extent when he comes back into the lineup, you would imagine. So, um, that's sort of, although I guess he has been beat to the outside a few times, uh, for chances off the rush this year, but uh, I'm uh, I'm I'm going to trend towards saying that that things will will go in the right direction for Casey DeSmith because of the fact that they can you know very selectively get him in in spots they want because there aren't a lot of back to backs 
So where they're going to get him in, they're going to give him chances to succeed. He's going to play more home ice games likely than he has to this point in the season, which is also a factor too in terms of the team in front of you gets the matchup that you want. Um, so so I'm going to I'm going to back Casey DeSmith and say that he'll clear 899. I'm with you. I'll back DeSmith to be a 900 goaltender in however many remaining starts he has. Thanks for playing along, boys. That was fun. It was a fun one. Thank you. That was good. That was one of your that was one of your better weird games, Draft. I'll give you that. <laughs> Thank you. I don't know that the inbox agrees. They thought it had too much math. Yeah. Well, fair, fair. Hey, Batcha. Well, I mean, to, to be fair to them, any math is too much math. And That's true. The reason I got into sports radio was so I wouldn't have to do much, and I and did then you more met than me. I normally do. <laughs> and then and you met <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> hey, Batcha. Appreciate you taking the time. Have a good call tomorrow. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. There is Brendan Bachelor, play-by-play voice of the Canucks here on Sportsnet 650. we got to hit the break. Dmitry Filipovich joins us on the other side. But before we go, it is time for the Giants report. Here is Nathan Cantor. A big matchup tonight for the Vancouver Giants on the road, taking on a divisional rival in the Kelowna Rockets and just four points separating the two teams in the standings. Giants currently in sixth place. They're actually pretty close to fifth and even fourth now. Three points back of fifth, five points back of fourth, but the Giants are just four points ahead of the Kelowna Rockets, who are currently in seventh. And that's the opponent tonight, a team that has beaten the Giants three times this season out of the four head-to-head matchups, but... The Giants won the most recent game, that coming on home ice back on January 21st by score of 4-2. A lot of the Giants' recent string of success, as they've gone 10-1-1 of their last 12, definitely has to do with goaltender Brett Merwald, who again was named the WHL Goaltender of the Week this past Monday for the fourth time this season. Giants GM Barclay Parnetta said, Don't forget about the work that goaltending coach Paul Fricker has done to help Merwald with his game have to point out Paul Fricker, the goalie coach, and the work he's done with Brett. Like, Brett had, you know, he's been the, the goalie of the week here a couple times in a row. He's, he's really starting to garner interest now, too, at the next level, and, and, and playing with a really strong confidence, so it really starts from the net out. The Giants having gone 10-1-1 one one in their last 12, well, a lot of that also has to do with scoring and depth scoring. The Giants' goal scoring overall is up big time. They average just 2.64 goals four per game in the first 36 games of the season and they're now at four goals per game in their last 19 games during which they've gone 14 four and one as mentioned tonight the Kelowna Rockets are the opponent a 705 puck drop at Prospera Place of course that game will be right here on Sportsnet 650 with the pregame show beginning at 6 p.m. tomorrow well the Giants have another big game against the Kamloops Blazers it's tomorrow night is Remax Presents Nickelodeon Night. The Giants will be sporting SpongeBob SquarePants jerseys. 20 lucky fans will be able to go home with the unique themed jerseys. As always, you can get your tickets to Saturday's Giants home game or any Giants home game at VancouverGiants.com tickets. For your Giants report, I'm Nathan Cantor. Canucks Talk, 
Josh Elliott Wolf, Thomas Drantz here in the Kintech studio. Drantz is on the road. But I, we're coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews, sore feet. What are you waiting for? And Canucks Talk, brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at dleamc.com. And uh, also, you can get your text in, 650-650, the Dunbar Lumber text line. I am joined in the Kintec studio, though, by Dmitry Filipovich, host of the Hockey PDO cast on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome. How are you? What's going on, bud? It's good to be in the studio here with you. We got extra space. I know. It's so nice. Yeah. Three people here. When the, when there is three people here, it's like it's doable, but man, it's uh, it's tight. It's not like the big old round table we yeah, used yeah. to have where you could have like seven people on that. <laughs> it would be fine. Um, but a lot to get into throughout the hit today, including the Vancouver Canucks. They're coming off this uh, four-game losing streak now. And a 5-2 loss to the Kraken last night. And our text box is buzzing about Elias Pettersson. We can get into that later. But in terms of the Canucks on ice right now, is it is it mainly special teams or is, are there bigger issues afoot? Yeah, I think this is also par for the course for the grind of an NHL season, right? 82 mm. games is a lot. I think we see this quite a bit. The fact that they had gone so long without any sort of meaningful losing streak in the first 50, 60 games of the season. And they kind of deluded people or, or, or tricked them that that was just always going to be the case. And we've seen teams who have won Stanley Cups or who have been legitimate contenders in the past have these sorts of spells. So if it continues, obviously um, you're going to be a bit more alarmed by it. But for now, I think this is kind of just the nature of the beast, I guess, of a regular season. And we've been talking about the the power play a lot today and what like where the concern level is because – Lately, it's been it's just been disjointed, mm-hmm. really. And they're trying a bunch of things and throwing stuff at the wall to see what sticks, and nothing is sticking right now. But it does feel like the overall talent on the roster, and especially the five guys you could put out there, it's just there's too much for this to realistically be like a legitimate worry as the season goes on. Yeah, there's certainly power plays. Like you look at the Penguins one, for example, and with Carlson, Crosby, and Malkin, you'd expect them to be better, yet they've been bottom five in the league all season. So they don't necessarily apply to this. But for the most part... We know the power plays in particular are the efficiencies is driven by like firepower and talent. And this is a group that we've seen succeed before. So you don't want to overreact to like small samples like this too much. And I think that's where you can get yourself into trouble where you start seeing them like putting Elias Pettersson around the net and moving JT Miller in places where he's not most effective. And then all of a sudden you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot for no reason overreacting to small samples. So I think when they're at their best and when they're using all five guys the way they should be, I don't really have concerns about it moving forward. And I think it's going to write itself. Dim, depth can be a fickle thing, right? Like the Canucks lose Dakota Joshua. Uh, Ilya Mikheyev starts to show, you know, some of the effects, I I think, of the ACL surgery from just about 12 months ago now. Pew Suter gets bumped up the lineup. Niels Hoaglander gets bumped up the lineup. and, And all of a sudden, what was, you know, one of this team's most impressive qualities, their bottom six scoring depth, um, has become a drag. Like, it's not something they're able to rely on game to game at the moment. How does that get fixed? Does it get fixed? Is it just a matter of getting healthy again? Uh, does it concern you at all going forward? Well, not that you'd ever wish for anyone 
to get hurt. And so hopefully Dakota Joshua can get healthier soon. But I imagine mm-hmm. his agent is loving this quite a bit, right? This is this is uh this is good ammunition for the off season to uh to use for your client. Yeah. I think it's a matter of, of getting healthy, certainly, especially with what we saw from from that line in particular at the start of the year where they were covering we was talking about how the top six was having some issues, but they were just being glossed mm. over by efficiency, but also by the bottom six actually playing a very sustainable five-on-five brand of hockey. So I think just getting those guys back together is going to go away a long way towards this. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's certainly alarming that as soon as you lose a guy like that and then all of a sudden things start to fall apart, maybe it does make you question things a little bit. With... So one thing, you know, I I did this exercise a little bit earlier this week, but I I went through how, you know, proxies for each Canucks line. So I picked Miller, Patterson, Garland, Nielsemann, how they performed with and without the Hughes-Heronic pair. And and one thing that stood out to me was in terms of which lines reliably drive, like, goal differential, but also a favorable shot attempt differential with and without the Canucks top pair. It's really that third line. Mm. Like, in some ways, this team's driven by their top pair. Five on five, anyway. This team's driven by their top pair. And they've kind of lost their one forward line that was reliably driving play with or without Hughes. How much does that sort of lower the Canucks baseline? How How much is that partly what we're seeing with the club sort of losing a series of coin flips here when, you know, uh, maybe in the past they were 54% in their favor and now it feels like they're 48% against and it just makes it more likely that you have a run of tough results. Well, and it's I think it's worth noting that during that hot run for the bo- for the bottom six, obviously it doesn't apply to that Garland line, but you had a guy in, in Niels Hoaglander who was just like wildly overqualified for the role he was playing yeah. in. And so I think that was boiling things quite a bit, whereas now he's playing higher up in the lineup and it's great to see and he's producing. But obviously that's going to sort of take its toll on, on that fourth line. And so, yeah, I, it, it's tricky because once you get later into the season, in particular in the playoffs, we know the depth really matters and particularly being able to win those matchups and, and not feel like it's a liability in particular can sometimes be the difference between winning and losing a playoff series. And they're going to bump into a bunch of teams in the West where those aren't really a concern, even for a team like the Oilers, for example, not that they get a lot of scoring from their bottom six, but they all of a sudden have players there now um, who can kind of hold their own and at least come out in the net positive from a territorial perspective. And so that becomes a concern if you can't at least match up with that. So the uh, the Elias Pettersson conversation, again, every time the Canucks lose, it feels like it comes back up and it's been louder and louder in these last few games. Do you have any concerns about Elias Pettersson's play, namely in these big games against teams that would be considered threats? I really don't. I, I don't know where it's coming from. I guess you have to sort of pick someone to be angry at and maybe he makes for Kuzmenko's gone so yeah, like, make, Patterson's a guy now I don't know right and then he falls over and it's like oh I can't even sk- stay on his skates what's <laughs> yeah. wrong with him yeah I, I I don't get it especially we haven't gotten to unfortunately see many instances of this because the team around him hasn't been of that caliber but the one time we did get to see him in a postseason setting even against a team like the Vegas Golden Knights at the time who were trying to bully him and play that kind of quote-unquote playoff brand of hockey Mm-hmm. He like relished it and 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 lived up to the moment and actually fought back quite a bit in terms of production and so I really don't have any concern about that in terms of the games being too difficult or teams being able to to get in his head like I just I don't understand it beyond 
just being frustrated because you've almost been so spoiled through the first 55 games without any adversity. And then now all of a sudden it's happening and it's just got to latch onto something. It does. The, the, the one issue I guess I've had, cause I, I completely agree, but the one issue I guess I've had, and I don't know if it's an issue that's going to sort itself out yet is that I don't know if the fit with Elias Lindholm has been immediately there. And, and now it's kind of a question of like, where does Lindholm really fit on this roster because you look at the individual skill set and it's like hey he can he can do well on the penalty kill i know the canucks pk hasn't been great since he got here but theoretically he is that guy and he has the skill set that should fit into this team well it's just kind of a it's difficult to figure out where he's going to fit long term well and tom I, i imagine this is also part of the impetus for making the trade when they did right it gives you a bit more runway to sort of figure this stuff yep. out and figure out what the best combinations are. And it makes sense that, you know, getting traded midseason, especially for a guy like Lindholm who had been in Calgary playing a certain way for an extended period of time, there's going to be a bit of an adjustment period. So I'm not going to hold that against him. If we get 10 more games down the road and we're still having these same conversations, maybe that would be a bit of a concern. But it feels like we should give a bit more runway here for them kind of figuring that out and figuring out what the chemistry is going to be like. Dim, I want to get your take on... The Pacific Division race, mm. right? Is it a race now? You know, are the, are the Oilers in the rearview mirror from a Canucks perspective? Well, they've got the five games in hand, which is obviously valuable, but at the same time, once like we're running out of regular season days here, right? That means yeah. gonna, there's going to be a bit it's of a, a double-edged sword. Yes, uh, in particular, like I don't think you, if you're the it's Oilers, also six games. Oh, it's six games now. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's a lot of a lot of games to make up in a short period of time, uh, certainly. And so I think if you're the Oilers in particular, you wanna. We've talked so much about how getting the first seed and staying out of that round one matchup two three, but also potentially winning the West and getting the second wild card is a massive incentive for whichever team wins it. But I also think if you're the Oilers, you're probably not gonna want to be playing McDavid and Dreisaitl 25, 26 minutes in back to back settings just to accomplish that. So it can be kind of a double edged sword in that regard. I think it's certainly going to be going to be tight. I think what's interesting is that you're seeing Vegas really crumble here as well and what's yeah. happening with them and their injuries. And they got Shea Theodore back, but now Mark Stone and Jack Eichel are both out. And so yeah. what's going to happen with that and then with L.A. as well and whether they can potentially get back on track in terms of actually being a top three seed in the Pacific and potentially bumping one of those teams into the wild card, there's certainly going to be a lot of moving parts here. With So let's let's move to the PDO report segment right the last time we saw the Boston Bruins they walloped the Canucks but they've kind of struggled since including losing to the Calgary Flames last night and failing to hold a 4-1 lead against the Edmonton Oilers too earlier this week in what was probably the game of the year to this point what challenges does Boston pose for the Canucks was there anything from that first matchup that was like signal or should we expect something radically different when these two teams lock horns Saturday afternoon? I'll answer that in a second, but have you had a chance to tell your listeners how you enjoyed that Oilers-Bruins game? <laughs> with a with a bottle of Oregon Pinot, a Willamette Valley Pinot Noir, and uh, and an order of um, my, my favorite Indian restaurant in uh, in uh, Seattle? Yes. That's the, yeah, way, that, that's a... the way any primetime hockey game is meant to be consumed. <laughs> yes. I had a delightful paneer masala from a from a, I'm gonna just gonna give, give give them a shout out because it's honestly like a destination for me in Seattle. Nirmals, Nirmals by Pioneer Square. Honestly, some of the best Indian I've had 
um, in the Pacific Northwest. Huge shout out to Nirmals. They always treat us so well, too. Yeah, you and I have had a chance to, uh, the privilege of sharing quite a few dishes there uh, over the years. Um, I This Bruins team honestly mystifies me because you watch them and you look at the personnel in particular, and I get that they have the infrastructure and the chemistry and, and all of that in place, and the special teams is certainly quite good, and we saw that in, in the, the game you're referencing against the Canucks earlier this season. At the same time, though, I was noting to you during that Oilers game, like it was 5-5 or whatever. In the final minute, the Bruins had an offensive zone sequence and Pasternak's out there, the puck's on his stick, and I'm like, oh, I can't wait to see what's going to happen. And he's passing the puck around, and it's like, Derek Forbart gets it and passes it to Parker Watherspoon, who passes it down to Pavel Zaka. And I'm like, what? Like, this is their best five-man <laughs> unit right now? What is happening? And obviously, they have Charlie McAvoy and, and Ambus Lindholm's out right now, but they certainly have better players than that. But yeah, regardless of who's out there, they seem to be able to just get it done, and it's it's absolutely mystifying. I think at this point, we've seen enough games from them that I'm not going to like write it off and think that it's a fluke, but uh, I certainly would expect a better performance from the Canucks than we saw in Boston uh, in that previous setting. And they'll have some schedule help as well because third game in four nights for Boston right. and also both of their games went to overtime, right? So hopefully, if uh, if you're looking at it from the Canucks' point of view, that that adds something to it. But uh, the next team, they, they play Pittsburgh. Kind of a mess right now, especially Jake Gensel out. There's, there's questions about their coaching. Is that a team that it, it, it's always weird when a team is in that situation because it feels like they're waiting for a bounce back and maybe that comes against Vancouver, but also maybe they take advantage of that downward spiral drone. Yeah, I've been waiting for that 60-game bounce back for, for, <laughs> yeah, for 60 it's, games it's here. Coming. It's like, oh, it's coming. Just got to wait 60 more games. Yeah, um, yeah obviously, there, there, there's quite a few concerns. As I mentioned, I think their power plays 29th or 30th ranked in the league. So if you're concerned about the Canucks man advantage right now, I think maybe getting to watch the Pittsburgh Penguins one up close will make you feel a little bit better by comparison. Um, Crosby's having... Obviously, phenomenal season. I think if they were winning more games, he'd be firmly in that MVP conversation. But beyond that, a distinct lack of depth scoring, right? And you never really know what you're going to get from that team when they're on. Uh, as we've spoken about defensively, they can just be rock solid and completely shut you out. But then if they're not on, it's very porous and, and, they, and you can kind of have your way with them. So, um, yeah, I it, it's surprising. I expected better from them, but certainly I think the Canucks should be looking at that matchup and feeling like that's a very winnable game. And then after that, first matchup with LA of the season, February 29th, and kind of, well, there was like a month where you wouldn't mind playing the LA Kings, and now they seem to be picking it back up again, and four more games against the Kings throughout the rest of the season. That's going to be fun. Yeah. I mean, certainly it would have been nice to get some of those games in during that stretch right before they fired their coach. Uh, they've kind of bounced back as you as you would have expected from a percentages perspective. At the same time, though, I was watching that game against the Predators last night, and this team just struggles to create meaningful offense, right? They're going to have sort of moments of brilliance like we saw from that highlight reel goal from Quentin Byfield and Adrian Kempe when he gets going, can certainly shoot the puck. But for the most part, there's long stretches where they're just not really threatening at all offensively. And so if you're Rick talking, you're looking at that and it seems like a team that you can kind of game plan against. And so even if the Canucks are struggling a bit offensively with their own power play, you got to feel good about that matchup because you kind of have the game plan out there right now in terms of what you can do to slow them down. All right, let's draft something. I've got an idea. Okay. We're going, we're going to draft teams that are not currently in the top three in their division. So no team that's locked into a top three spot is eligible to be drafted, and that includes the Philadelphia Flyers somehow. Um, 
we are going to draft only teams that are in wild card spots or outside the playoff mix on the basis of teams that actually have a shot at going deep into the playoffs. So we're going to pick the best teams outside the top three in their own division. Um, that that's that's going to be the draft today. Okay. Okay. You you ready? Well, let, Josh is Josh is kind of the guest. I know he's the host, <laughs> but he's kind of the guest to this process. He's sitting in the he's sitting in the yeah. host chair, and he was part of the hot dog draft, yeah, I believe, that we true. did a couple weeks ago. So this is, certainly isn't his first rodeo. It's not his first rodeo, but he's the guest in I'll terms take... of our usual process, so we're going to give him first pick. You can have second dip. Okay, okay so I'm taking the Kings with my uh, with my first pick. Bit of a layup. First overall, the first Kings. First overall, the Kings. Yes. It feels like the the biggest threat, like quickly looking through it, the biggest threat outside the playoff picture right now. I guess in the East there's some, but I'm going Kings. The team you're hinting at in the East, I will have to take the New Jersey Devils, even though ah. it is absolutely depressing watching them play these days. And anyone that is blaming it purely on goaltending should be watching these games because the game against the Rangers last night in particular was highly alarming. Um, but at the same time, there's so much firepower. And with Hughes and Hitchier both in the lineup, they're clearly the best pick after the Kings are off the board. Yeah, I mean, they get healthy and they get a goalie. I think both things are absolutely possible. Um, they become pretty scary. Man, my options dry up fast here, eh? Like, <laughs> I don't think you thought this, this draft through. <laughs> yeah. This is the worst draft to have the third pick. Um, uh, I think I have to take, with my two picks, I think I have to take Tampa Bay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I think I have to just take Tampa Bay and hope that Vasilevsky gets right and that their veteran savvy carries them, um, you know, against p- potentially some Eastern Conference or Atlantic Division pretenders like the Bruins and the Maple Leafs. Um, I, I guess, you know, it could happen. Things break their way, maybe. And I guess with my second pick, man, like two, 10 days ago, I would have taken the Penguins. But now I, I think they're kind of dead in the water. I'm going to take the Seattle Kraken. I buy that the Seattle Kraken are one of the league's best defensive teams. Mm-hmm. And I think they can outlast guys like the Blues and, and uh, other teams like that, make it into the playoffs. And then who knows? We'll, we'll see if they can get a goalie hot. That's fair. Um, I like. Do you think so? Like, I think the Kraken. I mean, they were impressive last night, but like, uh, the way that they've, the way they're impossible to generate against right now. Yeah. Yeah. My my only concern is that I like the Predators more from a wild card two perspective, assuming they don't just trade away everyone. But you could say the same about Seattle, right? Like with Eberle and Wenberg and, and Justin Schultz who scored last night, like. I guess we'll see. It depends on who has the most remaining pieces on March 9th, and then we'll see. I mean, they'll, they'll kind of give us their, their declare their intentions by then. Yep. Um, but yeah. So I, you picking the Preds? No, I'm going to go to the Detroit Red Wings. Okay. Just because I think they're much more likely to actually make the playoffs mm, statistically. Yeah. And so I like that because, as you know, Tom, anything can happen. This is your your catchphrase for for the playoffs, and so um, oh, as long as the Red Wings really get true. in, <laughs> I've heard you say it many times, or some variation of it. I forget. I mean, semantics. France is a dreamer. <laughs> just just get in. Anything can happen, baby. I hate it. Uh, so my pick. I get two picks here, right? Yeah. So I will go. I'll take. Ah man, they're so uninspiring. But I'll take Nashville and St. Louis. I I don't have ultimate confidence in either of them, but I do believe that. I believe in those teams making the playoffs more than any other team in the in the East right now. Um, like I don't think like Washington, I guess, can maybe make a charge. Well, you know what I love about the Blues, 
and and the listeners of the show are, are you know notoriously love Dom's projections at the Athletic, but he currently has the Blues at like eight percent or something yeah. to make the playoffs, and they're literally in a playoff spot right now <laughs> yeah. by point percentage too, not even just by raw points. Mm-hmm. And that's how smoke and mirrorsy it's been. I think they have the best point percentage in one goal games. They're like a forty four percent expected goal share team, and it's just all goaltending yeah. and kind of winning coin flips. So, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm with you at the same time though. They're one of the few teams remaining, or maybe the last one that actually is in a playoff spot right now. Yeah, I don't believe in either the Preds or the Blues like to go f- deep, but the options got slim real quick. Yeah, I guess to me, uh, this is tough because you didn't take the Capitals, right? I did not. A big win against the the Lightning last night. I actually beat the Devils quite handily before that as well. I will go with the Calgary Flames. It was either between them or, them or the Wild. Tom, what do you? We're, 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 this is the definition of slim pickings here. I mean, we're really running. We're quite literally You're running out of teams. You're picking the Flames over the Wild. Yes, I think they're better. You're picking them over the Penguins. Yes, the Penguins aren't going to make the playoffs. I know. Penguins got to get over, but they're so better many than teams. the Calgary Flames. Yeah, they might be, but I feel like that second wild card spot is just so there for the taking. Mm-hmm. Especially and, if those other teams trade off a bunch of pieces, and I'm kind of betting on, I'm betting against the Flames in the sense that I think they should just trade Hannafin, Tanev, and Markstrom for pure futures, but I think they're going to prioritize like young players who can step into the lineup right away because they, as an organization, have no desire for retaining salary and and really mm-hmm. blowing it up and rebuilding properly. So I think regardless of the trades they make, they're going to bring in players who can actually play for them right now, and so. They might take a step back, but not as much of a step back as some of the other sellers might. All right, I'll take Pittsburgh, and that rounds out our wildcard team's draft. To recap, I got the Penguins. I have a miserable draft, by the way. Like, <laughs> yes. really bad. Getting third pick Lightning, in this draft I have the Lightning. <laughs> I have the – what was I going to do? I have the Lightning, the Penguins, and the Kraken. Dimitri, you have the Flames – don't start with the Flames. The, I mean, that makes yeah, it sound much flames. worse. That flames. was the team Second you really overall. wanted. The Devils. <laughs> and and you took someone else weird. Who else did you take? I did not take any of those teams. The, I did not take the Flames? I, I don't think I took the Devils, did I? Oh, I did. You oh, did. man. Yeah, I have the, the Devils? I Devils second overall. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. You have I the Devils, the Flames, and the Red Wings. Oh, I, I hate my draft. Yeah, that was Yeah, tough. your draft sucks. And then, Josh, you have the Kings, which is like really the only good pick in the bunch. Yeah. Um, and uh, and then you had two other teams that Blues I Blues really and Predators. Like. The Blues and the Predators, yeah. 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 Went with a Stars and Scrubs approach there. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Very I went top all in on first overall, and I just didn't <laughs> care about the other two players. I let the scouts make the picks on those ones. Um, Fair. Dimitri, thank you uh, thank you for taking the time. As always, Drance will be back on the other side. we got the whiteboard coming up. It is Canucks Talk. Josh Elliott Wolf, Thomas Drance here on Sportsnet 650.